Have you ever wondered what Twilight would have been like if Kristen Stewart was just a floating head? Well, wonder no longer, gentle listener, with America's most inhuman podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm just hanging in there. I'm Ben Sheets, also known as Brundle Krang, also known as American Werewolf in Thailand. <laughs> Hi, and I'm Cleveland Mosier, and I'm thinking about those vampire beans. <laughs> And we're very excited to be joined once again by Ted Henschke of Dread XP. Ted, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, how's it going, guys? Uh, I don't have a funny opening bit, but a little piece of trivia is that, did you know that, um, I think it's Thailand, it might be Indonesia, I can't remember, one of those two, uh, their vampires are called asswangs, and I think that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yo! Amazing tidbit. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now I wish that that's the movie that we had watched instead. Hey, maybe it exists, though. Time, well, time I'm, hor- I'm horribly mispronouncing it. I think it's pronounced like Oswang or something like that, but it's spelled Aswang. And I'm like, <laughs> dick butt is always funny. Well, truly this week, America's most immature podcast. But, you know, thankfully, we're talking about a movie that we don't have to take terribly seriously. Uh, This is Cleveland's pick. And we're uh, talking about the 2019 Thai uh, horror drama, whatever, Krasu Inhuman Kiss, directed by Siddit Siri Monkle Siri. And uh, Cleveland... What is this movie? (laughs) That's a harder question than it should be. But, um, uh, well, first off, I want to say it it is my pick. Ted, I'm going to put a little blame out there, uh, incepted the idea into my head, uh, mentioning in our Discord server that he just seen it and that it was amazing. And I needed to find out more about this film because I remember a while back on, I think it was uh, uh, Best of the Worst or something, like uh, they covered a, like like Red Letter Media covered like a, uh, one of these like Thai vampire films with like the floating head, but it was poorly made with styrofoam and, and all the rest. And I had this this image in my head and the idea of a team taking on that premise with modern special effects like i just kept thinking about it how are they going to pull it off are they going to i need to know i need to know for myself so when it when my pick came around i just i just had to do it and of course we had to bring ted back on to talk about it as well yeah and the the red letter media episode you're talking about i believe that film is about an oswong because it does have the vampire lady sucking the baby the unborn baby out of a, a of lady's tummy is her tummy deflates. No, I really wish we'd watch that movie. <laughs> that's that is uh, part of the the Oswang myth is that it, it eats unborn babies out of women's stomachs. That's their version of a vampire, way more hardcore than ours. Yes, considerably. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. As as we've intimated a little bit, this is a a supernatural related film dealing with uh, some kind of Thai vampire called a Krasu. Uh, Cleveland, why don't you tell us what a Krasu is? It's a floating head. It's got some tentacles that are entrails. It's pretty rad it's in, the, in concept. The I, heart as like a ball sack, almost. A well, big glowing ball sack hanging <laughs> from beneath the head. Yeah, in, in some iterations, it would seem. But, I don't know, floating heads are pretty spooky. And, uh, you know, with the, the hair flowing around, it makes for quite a spectral sight, in my opinion. I like the concept. Uh, I think I was first turned on to the idea of like spooky floating heads with scary stories to tell in the dark. 
There's some neat stories and illustrations of those there. So that has been imprinted on me from a young age, and I love the concept and am legitimately creeped out by it. When I say that I describe the film as amazing in Discord, I think I, I should clarify. I was using the word in its like biblical sense yes. of like the word like yes. looking upon the true face of God will be like so amazing that your mind cannot comprehend. And it like 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 the, the the way that they describe the angels and the seraphim within the Bible is like having four heads and like being made of entirely light. Is that Ezekiel is the first. exact same yeah. experience? It, no, it, it is awesome. It is biblically awesome, and that it inspires awe. Um, I guess yeah, some uh, kind of awe. A couple of weeks ago. We covered this movie Impedigor, which is an Indonesian horror movie, and essentially that movie feels a lot like Indonesia's take on Insidious and Blumhouse horror and kind of the conjuring supernatural ghost stuff. This movie, it feels like Thailand's take on Twilight. Yes. You know, tie light, so to speak. Yes, tie Um it, it definitely is heavy on the the romantic melodrama. I feel like I should have expected that going in with a title like Inhuman Kiss, but I I guess the optimist in me thought it was, you know, less literal. But yeah, this movie is two hours long. Way too it's long. It's two hours long, but it feels like seven. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm glad that I didn't have to be the one to say it. You're absolutely right. It is so, well, so fucking long, and it's so steeped in teen romantic melodrama in the same way that Twilight is. A little bit more grotesque, which I, I guess is to its benefit. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's significantly darker than, than Twilight is. And I think that a lot of the reason why the film feels so long is not necessarily like it's not a slog to get through in the sense of like that it's painful to watch. There's just a zillion things going on in the movie and not all of them make sense. So like it's one of those things where your like mind warps around like the reality is warped by your mind's inability to comprehend. <laughs> like I know that it's like literally the timer is only saying two hours, but my mind trying to look back on it. It, like remembers the sun rising and setting within the time it took me to watch it because that's just how my mind can work all of these story elements into my worldview, you know? Yeah, it's so steeped in like Thai folklore, but the thing is, with that, it kind of throws narrative three act structure aside to just do its own thing. Once Tad leaves the picture and then comes back that feels like the third act but then there's a solid like 45 minutes after that yeah it's it's funny cleveland made a pizza uh during this movie so we had to pause it a couple of times boys gotta eat you know so he could put it in the oven and take it out and whatnot and each time we paused it, I was baffled at how much longer was left in the movie. It's like, pause, yeah. it's like, oh my god, there's another hour and 20 minutes left of this well, movie? Every emotional shift in the film, every emotional revelation comes with a montage, uh, essentially. <laughs> there, There is always a, a brief moment to reflect and recollect on 
the previous dialogue scene. <laughs> we're, we're always given a nice amount of time to process it. As I am constantly reiterating on the podcast, I love that. <laughs> I love I love just sitting in a movie and uh, listening to, to quiet, soft piano uh, and okay. violin, which we, yeah, we definitely need to get into. Uh, yes. As, um, you know, we, we look at, like, beautiful cinematography because I really liked how this movie was shot, too. Like, it, yeah. like the, it always looks gorgeous. The color correction is really pretty and crisp yeah just like those like shots of like that orange sun like coming through the branches and the slow setups with like the the cups on the table it's all like really like crisp and the color is just gorgeous in this film like i definitely have no complaints there and back to the montage point real quick there's like there's a montage that happens during a montage so there's like a montage of them bringing her food while there's a montage of them hunting hunting uh, the Kursau or whatever it is, the flying head monster. Kurasu. But then later on, there's a montage when you, the, the the good boy gone bad, you find out why he's still a good boy. <laughs> he has a montage to set up another montage. Like, he has a pre-montage montage. So he has, to have this montage of, like, you realizing he was actually a good boy the whole time before the montage of him turning into a monster that happens simultaneously with another montage that's going on at the same time. And then there's like little interspersed like story beats of the the bad guy <laughs> revealing he's a demon, and that comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, wait, is he a demon, or is this like a is this like a like a like a psychological thing? No, everything in the movie is very literal. Yeah, yeah like, absolutely. Yeah. There's no Ugh. there's no room for like subtlety or metaphor here. For for our listeners, I've I've just been wiping away like giggle tears since we finished this movie. I mean, well into this movie, I, I can't stop. I oh god, it's so great. Yeah, well, it might be the second best movie ever made, right behind Deep Blue Sea. Oh yeah, uh, God, I'm with you on that. Oh, I'm that so is a movie you. we need to cover. A movie at that some I unironically love. Yeah, Deep Blue Sea. no one touches my bird. Um, like, God, that movie's so good. Yeah, well, the the yeah. montage thing seems like a, a good spinoff quickly into uh, something that Ben and I both commented on during the movie is that this thing is overscored in the sense that there's never any silence everything has to be accompanied by very Im- sad pian- uh, piano yeah, as the and violin kept telling us sad piano music <laughs> mysterious piano music sad violin just constantly it's like they don't trust any of the scenes to have enough emotional impact on their own so they have to put in the most heavy-handed emotional music possible for the entirety of the movie drove me insane i'm gonna bat for the music a little bit but first off i i think we need to get to the root of the issue which you guys could not stop complaining about the whole movie yeah, it was fucking annoying <laughs> and that is um there was no option for solely subtitles it was only closed captions so uh we did watch the film where literally everything was captioned now me personally i just kind of grew up in a house where captions were left on and so i just tune it out like it is i i I just kind of by habit and by nature just watch films with like closed captions on um i had a deaf grandmother like i'm i'm very used to it and uh it doesn't do much for me but what i will say is as someone who's seen a lot of those and they're like you guys were mocking like when it's the sad piano came up and whatnot like 
I will agree. I've never seen captions this specific before in my life. Like <laughs> I, there, there were a couple of times where it said, God, what were some examples of like when it was like super specific, like violin joins the piano for a crescendo and shit. Like I've never seen that. Uh, before. Yeah. Drum, a uh, drum beat that is quickly muted with the palm. Yeah. One of the most specific. <laughs> yeah. Ones. Like what? I've never seen that. I will say though, like for deaf listeners, that's great. Like I, I've, well, I've read up on thing. that and that is very beneficial. <laughs> For Netflix people who are deaf. is usually this movie is on Netflix. So let's just put that out there. Netflix is usually really great at adding the option for both subtitles and then dis- close captions, descriptive mm-hmm. captioning, which is usually what it's called, where, yep. where it you know gives an explanation mm-hmm. of sound effects as well. This didn't have the option. The only option right. was everything included it's like don't don't get me wrong like i i'm glad that there are options like this for hearing impaired people i think in that case like being as descriptive as possible is good but i also like to have the option to turn it off because it's distracting especially in this case when many of the instances are so specific that it's impossible to not laugh at it regardless of the tone of the scene and i wanted to throw something through the television every time ghostly hiss came up because every time the Krasu is like around you know there's this kind of like spooky sound effect a ghostly hiss which is which is captioned as ghostly hiss every single time and the Krasu gets a lot of screen time so it's like that was just unbearable for me what are your thoughts on that let's let's dive into that do you think it warranted so much screen time do you um, think the the effect was good enough that no. it uh justified the, the, the effects were significantly better than i thought they would be that is yeah. fair that is fair i still didn't think they were very good at least not good enough to justify as much screen time as they got well, let me let me just real quick here because i think i need to establish a little bit how this film like entered into uh our now zeitgeist please it's do like, So I I, I watch probably like two movies a day, just like while I'm working. And I don't tend to watch uh, movies with uh, like subtitles because usually, like I said, I'll watch it with like something that's like like Deep Blue Sea. You can watch like I could be watching Deep Blue Sea while watching Deep Blue Sea 2 and 3 at the same time while working Mm -hmm. out. And like I'd still get what all three movies are about, you know, like I wouldn't have any trouble keeping up. But like you said something with subtitles, it's like a little bit more involved and I I work a lot. So it's, it's hard to, you know, find the time to do it. But um, the, the nice lady that has been watching a lot of movies with me um, was like, hey, let's just do Netflix roulette to find something else. Because when you watch two to three movies a day, it's like you run out pretty quick. Sure. Um, and she found Inhuman Kiss just by like randomly using Netflix roulette. And she was like, let's watch this. And I was like, this looks lame. It's like kissing monsters and stuff. She's like, I've watched like 17 murder films in a row. Let's watch this one romantic <laughs> comedy for me. Fair. And I was like, fair enough. Like yeah. you win. Um, which it was great because it wound up being because uh, I really like like uh, the night comes for us or the raid like Malaysian murder films and uh, this turned out to be a pseudo Malaysian murder film but with also a bit of Twilight so I think we were both left pleasantly surprised especially by the ending good God we'll get into that in a minute but yes yeah. we will um, so uh, but there's there's basically only three kinds of, of foreign films that manage to make it to the United States there's like the super artsy ones and that'll be like a girl walks home alone at night. And those get, like, critical acclaim, and they're, like, you know, usually, uh, like, some kind of prestige piece from uh, a director, um, uh, I think, 
Gerlach's and Maloney was Lily Ann Annapore, I think. Yes, but I, yes. anyways, and then you also have the ones that are just like surprisingly high quality, despite being you know pretty schlocky. So some that'd be something like Baskin. If you haven't seen Baskin, it's like a Turkish horror film. I, is, I think Empedagor like, would perfectly yeah. fall into that category. Yeah, well, they're, they're usually like. Solid movies, very, very, very extreme. I mean, I even think that The Raid would fall into that category, you know, something that's, like, shocking. Um, and then you have four billion shitty movies. Like, most of the films that we don't hear about, we don't hear about for a reason. is because there's, like, and that's, like, movies in general. I'm not saying that American movies are so much better. But, like, imagine if they made Slender Man with even less money and talent and time. And that's, like, most of the films that you'll be getting. And they're just, they're just like, not really worth your time and they're hard to follow. And, and so I went into this with, like, zero expectations. I expected it to be one of that third category of just, like, the worst films you could watch. But it was actually, like, it's it's actually between... There's a lot of issues that the movie has, and I, I have trouble parsing down why the film has issues because, uh, and that's like, uh, I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but like, I, I genuinely, I thought this was like, when I said it's better than I thought it was going to be, like, I'm coming at this from the perspective of I was, I was expecting it to be painful to watch, and the film is like genuinely entertaining. Like, if you sit down and watch it, you're going to have a good time if you're like invested in watching something different and weird and are willing to sit through all two hours of it, you know? Correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> especially for, you know, that specific sequence, which we'll get into. But I think that makes the runtime a little more cathartic and justifiable. Oh, yeah. Because the movie before that point yeah. feels so long. And even the movie after that point feels so long. But that solid 20-minute sequence of the movie, I would say. It feels like a, yeah. a worthwhile payoff, kind of, for putting up with a lot of relatively boring shit, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, I'd, say, I, I'd sit through another half hour. <laughs> yeah, once it turns into an episode of Power Rangers, the movie is awesome. Yes! I said that before we started recording. Like, absolutely. It is, it is like, like Sentai kind of stuff, like with the bodysuits. Uh, God. It's yeah, so it's so fucking good. Oh, I love um, it. But yeah, back to back to the kind of like, you know, when I watching this movie, like so when, if someone at home is like listening and they want to watch this movie, like go into it with an open mind, because it's it's basically like four different movies rolled into one. Mm -hmm. um, yes. oh my and God, I, yes. I will say also that I do generally have a hard time judging foreign films on anything other than the spectacle, because like I have basically no um, frame of reference to whether or not their acting is good because like I don't speak their language and mm -hmm. I can't tell if they're delivering their lines in a believable way. Right. Like I know what I think people talk like, but people from different cultures have different accents different mannerisms different affects like different ways of speaking and, and like even in america like you know if you were to talk to someone in la and they're telling a story they're gonna be telling the story like with a lot of certain like pomp and a lot of uh, uh affect but if you're in alabama generally people t tend to talk like far more reserved and if you're not from there it's hard to tell it's like the it's kind of the, like the difference between uh like coastal versus midwestern humor like midwestern humorists tend to be very dry very you know, you tell your jokes without a lot of flair and the punchline is kind of like subtle, oh, whereas yeah. the coastal humor tends to be a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say clever. Um, I don't, cause I don't mean that. What I mean is like, tends to be a little bit more, uh, like a performative. And, um, so it's, it's kind of snarky. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's genuinely difficult to like tell if another movie from another country has good or bad acting. Um, a really great uh, anecdotal example of this is uh, Akira Kurosawa films. Akira Kurosawa films like weren't popular in Japan. They were only, they were more popular in the United States. And uh, God, his actor Toshiro Mifune, I think yes, his name is, who I love. Um, he wasn't considered to be a good actor in Japan because he was too emotional. And mm -hmm. but in the United States, he was like well respected as being a great actor. 
he is. He's a great actor. But uh, so when I when a lot of the criticism I have about Inhuman Kiss, I always am like, I don't know if I would have gotten it better if I was like a native speaker or from that country, you know? No, it's so true. Um, I, I know like in uh, Japan in particular, I, I was just I was just uh, learning about this. A lot of video games, for instance, suffer from poor delivery if they have like Japanese native direction. For instance, like Metroid Other M is a good example of that, where like Samus's character is like robot dry because her uh, English audio was directed by um, the the creator of the franchise i believe i cannot remember specifically but the idea is that she was directed to sound stoic and culturally that flat dryness and lack of emotion is badass whereas in the states it just makes your protagonist sound like a robot so um no that that very much so is a thing uh and i it's fascinating too like to, to to learn about but no so true like the the cultural gap uh, definitely leaves a lot of limitations, and you, you kind of have to, to go in with a little bit more of an open mind, uh, for sure. Well, the fascinating thing about it, and this was similar with Empedagore a few weeks ago, is it's so interesting seeing the combination of traditional inspirations and themes and folklore from a foreign country like this mixed with, it seems like, kind of American filmmaking ethos. You know, you definitely see frames of inspiration from American movies in this. You know, the melodrama of, like, Douglas Sirk or, like, Twilight directly. Yeah, I think the, the, the cultural translation is is the same with American-made films in other countries. Like, they get specifically our biggest spectacle films and mm-hmm. not a lot of the more indie films or downplayed films, you know? So that's why shit like fucking uh, Warcraft it was, like, super pop- is, like, super popular in China because they like the big spectacle films from us just like we like the big spectacle well, films from them and warcraft was was essentially shot for chinese audience basically like yes. uh, and a lot of a lot of our modern films are uh disney is often like like all altering films and such for a chinese audience a, a good example is like uh taking like any gay relationships out of the last star wars films for instance that's a thing what they do yeah. Yes, um, but I, I think to Ben's point, it would make sense that Twilight probably made its way to Thailand um, and <laughs> probably, I think, was a – surely it must have been a direct influence on this movie. I like to think. it Like, there's no way it didn't. Like, I And I haven't even seen any of the Twilight movies, but, like, I'm able to spot some of these hallmarks, you know, making vampires sexy. <laughs> fucking love triangles with multiple different kinds of monsters uh you know heightened teenage melodrama shit like that if if i could just briefly talk about my my tangential relationship with twilight because there'll never be another opportunity on the podcast (laughs) yeah go for it (laughs) um so my mom is a dance instructor uh or uh, at a studio and uh when i was when i was back home this was years ago like she she was like well you know all these girls are are really into twilight so i should probably be able to relate to some capacity so i'm gonna i'm gonna go through the books so i was sort of around while she was listening to them on tape and oh boy like (laughs) so I've I've heard enough. I, I am familiar enough with it to to know th- what I already would have known, what you already know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, th- those are some books. 
Uh, that's for sure. Uh, th- those are some books, and and I agree. I I, I think that uh, I would I would be surprised to know that Twilight did not have a role in uh, this this film's like inception and production. Its central conceit is a big part of this movie, except like gender reversed. You know, like one of them is is a, a vampire who you know is good but also dangerous because of her monstrous nature. You know, and the the other the human the boy is like infatuated with her. What I will say is, I think that that is much much older than Twilight. Like that goes back to La Belle Labette. Like, and you, you can know, just like, say Beauty and the Beast. All, all the okay. rest and all the. <laughs> Yeah, but I want to sound smart, Tease. <laughs> no, yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Like, uh, and, um, you know what? No, thank you. I don't want to sound pretentious, though. Uh, yeah, like Beauty and the Beast and so many other, like, like stories like that. Like, yeah, like the, the, the falling in love with the, quote, monster and the monster not being a monster. Like, that's, yeah, that's a tale I mean, as old as time. In terms of narrative, yes. But I think in terms of filmmaking style. Yeah. It's yeah, a direct that's what I Twilight, mean, definitely, yes, yeah. and Twilight. and definitely there. Like, uh, 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 that is nothing more than a counterpoint. But I, I, I fully agree. Uh, I, I do, I do think you're right about that. Like, Twilight definitely had a role in in this film's production. I mean, in terms of like shot composition and like cinematography, it's like it's pretty difficult to like draw any comparison from one to the other. I mean, I think sure. that Twilight was significantly more saturated in its colors and its because like there's there's a certain kind of strange uncanniness to the look of twilight where everything is like very 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 stark colors and i don't think that that was really in this movie but yes there's no doubt that like the twilight monster movie love story is making dollar signs dance in everyone's head the world round um it doesn't matter that it came out you know 10 15 years ago uh there's there's still people willing to to buy you know that kind of thing And i mean there was a zillion twilight spinoffs when i like not spinoffs but ripoffs like Mm -hmm. uh what is it? This is the one, the beastly. Oh for, yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I was I was writing one um, about uh, <laughs> a girl that's what? I said a word. Yeah, yeah. Please go on. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I had this idea with a friend. I should still probably write this. I'll make a billion dollars if I do. But it's it's about a boy that goes to the small town in the Midwest and uh, goes to high school because it's a Twilight knockoff, and uh, he meets a girl uh, that turns out to be an elf. And uh, his mom is the head of a logging company um, because girl boss. And uh, so she's like log doing like she's chopping down these trees and the elves are infiltrating human society uh, because it's a toilet knockoff. And uh, because they're trying to figure out how to stop them from cutting down their world tree. Anyways, the whole conceit so it's of it Avatar is all too. Of the, oh, wow. All of the elves have powers, special, special powers. Some stronger than others. Some of them are invisible. Some of them can turn into wolves or whatever. Each of the clans has different powers because it's a Twilight knockoff. But her power, the main girl's power, is that no one notices her. Not that she's invisible, but just no one notices her. Except he does. Except he oh, does. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Start flying through your brain. You're like, oh, it's so good. That's yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh, uh, ironically and unironically. Like, well, yeah. dude, you need you need art for that. You let me know. Like, yeah. I'm on Well, the name board. of the story would be would be Evergreen. Because oh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. That, that, exactly. All right. All you need Just to do, uh, like, like busters. Yeah, like, like chicks with elf ears, man. You're appealing to every demographic there. Yeah. That's got like an uwu element to it. It's got weeby vibes, also. Yeah, man. It's got it all. Yeah, and then you could call the sequel Baby Blue and keep the theme of <laughs> <laughs> colors. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just. 
I'm just saying that that's in my back pocket in case these video games don't work out. I'll write my stupid Twilight there knockoff. There you go. You've got a great backup plan. Oh, my God. Man, yeah. speaking Golden. of Twilight knockoffs, wasn't there one where it was like Frankenstein, but he was sexy? There's and also there Frankenstein? So of those. Was that the yeah. one? Yeah, I, yeah, I Frankenstein. I think we just talked about this. I feel like I, I Frankenstein might actually be the worst movie ever made. It's, so good, <laughs> but, uh, it's not good. Anyways, I, before I went into my tangent about the stupid elf book that I want to write, good um, tangent, great tangent. What I was saying, what I was saying is that I really love seeing these foreign monsters because I think that so much of our uh, our like cultural zeitgeist is like Eurocentric mm-hmm. and. Um, I just would love to see the use of other countries, other cultures, monsters, not only permeate our media culture, but also our like psychopathic conspiracy theories. Because everyone's like, QAnon's like, oh, you know, Hillary Clinton's a vampire and she eats babies. It's like, oh, you're and, and she worships the devil. It's like, you know, most people on the planet, you know, non-Christians are non-Christians and they don't believe in the devil. So like, what's the chances that she's actually a Curacao and eating Eating babies that way. You don't know. Your worldview is not expanded enough. And so I want that level of, of psychopathy to take her because I just I think it's fucking hilarious. Wasn't there a film a while back about like advertisements being monsters or something like in like 20, like 13 or 14? Where oh, they're, God. Like, they're, yeah. Like, what the fuck was that movie called? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like the like like the psychic monsters and shit. I never saw it, but I remember like thinking it was cool. Like the premise is really neat. I'm just thinking if they live now. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's the one though. Or um oh what was the one we, we saw we saw the theater uh, a while we we covered on the podcast with the with the yogurt that was so good. Oh, uh the stuff. The stuff, the stuff is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I love like, the like, stuff. Yeah, like letting the, the monster genius. Yeah, capitalism monster. Like yeah, the, the stuff rules. Like I I think that's actually a pretty great example. Yeah, but, yeah the name of like, the movie is is branded. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the title. Thank you, thank you for yeah. For I, I just you. remembered. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I if everyone's ever worked curious if I know all the horror movies, well, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, well, branded. this has been tangent the podcast. Let's get back to let's get back to <laughs> yeah, the yeah. So Inhuman back to Kiss. back to Inhuman Kiss. Um, so I, I guess we should probably establish what the movie's about. It's about a girl who's a vampire. The vampire is a, is a croissant, and uh, it, what it does is its head detaches from your body at night, and it goes to drink blood. Um, this is not necessarily like an evil vampire. It doesn't really have plans. It's more of like an animal. It, it, basically, a hunter comes to town saying, I kill these things. We have all these heads on these pikes, and I want to come to your village and hunt this thing down so it doesn't eat any babies. And um, basically, there's the girl has two. There's a love triangle. There's a, a, a boy who's come in from out of town. He was he had gone to Singapore, Bangkok, Bangkok, Bangkok. There we go. And uh, had come back with this group of, of hunters. That's no uh, you way. Find, yes, you find out that he had come back because he wanted to come back home, and this was his only way of getting back home. Oh, it also takes place during World War One, I, I think. I think that was the time period. But, like, not, like, in the middle of the war. Like, you know, and that's just, like, in the 1920s. And uh, so he comes back with this group of hunters, um, and his his objective is just to come home, and they're kind of his meal ticket to get home. And so he just kind of is like, well, there's no Crisau's at my home village, so this will be an easy way for me to get back home. And then it turns out that he doesn't know that his childhood sweetheart is one of these monsters, um, so you have the, that's, that, that's the dilemma is that this good boy that brought 
the hunters to this village is trying to take care of her when he finds out that she's a Krasau and make sure that she doesn't get killed by these hunters that he brought there. Um, while the other boy, the, the boy that was vying for her affection before uh, the, the traveling boy came back, he decides to then join the hunters for reasons that we are initially unclear of. But by the end of the movie, we find out it's because he is actually the goodest boy and was trying to also protect the girl. Um, well, I think I think that like Jared's uh, motives are are pretty pretty well laid out in like how he's like playing war games in the the hospital at the beginning. Like clearly he's he's very caught up in that whole like ideology of like the the honor and like the the fun of war. So like any opportunity to like hold a rifle and like he his his like young horny boy self is just going to like grab a rifle the moment he can. So like it it checks out. I think like his his motives there for like joining the 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 raider group. Well, and he joined them to protect her because he had known that she was a Chrysal for a long time. Yes. Yeah. And which we and, find out um, later. Mm-hmm. One of the revelations, which also leads to one of the, the questions I have about the movie, because there's like a lot of like things that don't quite add up. Yes. Like, I also have questions. <laughs> yeah. So um, we find out that she has been a Chrysal for some time. Like the movie starts and she's already a Chrysal and she's like looking at herself in the mirror and noticing these scars and stuff. And she's like, ooh, but like, did it just recently manifest? Because... The movie starts with like this, uh, uh, what you think is another group of kids, as one of them gets infected by this Chrysal. But then it turns out that I think it's her just like 20 years before, 10 years before. Oh, no, it's, it's definitely them. Like the, the film uses the same name. So like the when they're kids yeah. at the, in the opening sequence, they do refer to each other as uh, Jared yeah. and all the rest. So like we do know that it is them as children um, encountering the, the, the Krasu. Well, yeah, I, what I'm wondering about is like, yeah, she does she does get like kissed by the Krasu like like when she's a kid is it infected or yeah. however you want to phrase it. Like the, the curse is transferred via spit yes so like we do we do know like that that's when that happened but through a large portion of the film i was under the impression that she was only just becoming it because she'd reached quote womanhood yes that's what i took that as as well but later on becomes one too a kid becomes one exactly right. and that's my biggest question <laughs> about the film and that's where i'm like wait well has she just always been one and it just kind of synced up like and like, nobody noticed no, for all these years right like so what's yeah, what's the deal there around for 10 years and no one noticed like yeah <laughs> because that's the thing is that the guy that you find out that uh, jared also knows that she is one like had figured it out a while ago but like the timeline of when she had figured it out is like when he had figured it out uh, is like unclear. Well, like it's 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 when she's devouring the cow. Like like we, we actually we we do know when it was because I I remember uh, it, it's like the second night because she comes the oh, next okay. morning and she sees the devoured cow and that's when I stopped and said, "Ooh, wow, these practicals are really good." Um, uh, because that devoured cow looked great. I'll die on that sword. Like the some of the practices in this film are fucking amazing. For all we um, know, they might have they might have done a uh, apocalypse now and actually killed the cow for that shot. We'll never know uh, because we're not going to research it uh, and we're lazy. <laughs> uh, so the, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So anyway, like no, it is it is during that sequence when he sees her head. So it is like within like the the relevant timeline of the film that he okay. sees her as a crossu. So th- that doesn't rule out that she wasn't one before, but it, I, it doesn't I suggest the, that she was. I get either. the feeling that the intention was 
that yeah she starts getting the transformation when she like reaches womanhood because like the first time we see her jump forward in time like she wakes up and finds like a small blood stain on her sheets so presumably like she's gotten her first period I think that's the intention. I think they just kind of forgot about that when they had the little girl drink after her and then become a Krasu immediately. I think they just, I think that was just sloppy. <laughs> yeah, it it is it is a plot hole. Yes. It, it is that. One second. There we go. Nice. Okay. I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I, I never do. Yeah, not drinking a nice, truly pineapple. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a number of parts in the movie where I'm not sure, like, the timeline of, like, how things work out. Like, how long does it take Jared to turn into, like, the red demon thing from Ghosts and Goblins? Like, <laughs> that's the only way I can describe it. It looks it looks like the red armor from, from Ghosts and Goblins. It's like this silly little red demon thing with fangs and claws, and they fly it's and they fight. It's a very yeah. long tail. During, during the transformation, I thought he looked a lot like uh, the, the Arca self-title album cover with the black teeth. I, I, I really liked that. I thought the the like the weird scaling like falling apart skin effects looked looked fun and the, the like, transformation were, were cool. like, the makeup was, was really neat. This was a case where the transformation looked way better than the than the final like, result. The Absolutely, final result. yes, I agree. Yeah. And, and uh, this is yeah, we'll and, and, and to, to clarify for the people listening, basically that's the the setup of the plot is that these hunters have come to find the Krasu and uh, they fucking can't uh, until they do. And uh, they they find her because they make everyone come out at night. I think. How do they first chase her into they, the? I they can't remember. See her pick up dumb. They see, no. They see her and isn't it when uh, no when they go out to find the avatar beans? No, it's before that. It's with dumb the baby. Yeah, dumb the baby. That's what I was saying. Yeah, like uh, that, that's the first time they see her. That, well, I mean, that's the first time they see her as a Krasu, but that's not the first time when they realize that she she is, is the Krasu. Yeah, yes. no, no. It's when they yeah. go with the beans, well, yeah. They, they see the Krasu head when it steals the baby, but the baby's fine. Don't worry. And then they're going out to the field to try to get the magic. Don't become a Krasu bean. The beans. The Avatar. And, the Avatar uh, beans. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And they chase her into a house, and uh, then she goes Super Saiyan and kills them all uh, yeah, because she great. remembers that she made out with an old lady when she was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we don't see them all get murdered. It just happens, like, off screen. But we see a couple. Just, we, we see we, we see, see a couple, couple like, like entrail like, strangulation. So we, we get we get enough. Yeah, fucking... Yeah, that's, that's true. It's an not hour like and a, 20 minutes into the movie before the first actual, I don't think we like, got enough. Happens. I wanted more. I wanted more. I'm going to say... I can't remember if this happened 12 minutes into the movie, an hour into the movie, or four hours into the movie. Like, it's impossible <laughs> to remember the exact where it happened within the film... Uh, that she gets that, and then they like discover that she's the the Krasu, but uh, and then they're gonna go to her house to murder her. Like, hey, you're a demon. We're gonna kill you. And then uh, Jerd is like, oh, actually, she's not. It's this other guy that's the bad guy, and that's when he protects her. And this this other guy who's the head of the the hunters is like, all right, peace, bitches. I'm not dying over this bullshit. Tad. And uh, you think that he's gonna be gone from the movie. Or, you know, come back and eventually hunt her. Turns out that he's um, also uh, like the red demon monster from Ghosts and Goblins. And he infects the good boy so that he also becomes a red demon monster because it turns out that these two demons, the Krasu and the, the red devil guy. The Krahang. Krahang. Because it sounds like Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's the Krangs from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, they uh, they are eternally bound to each other so that all these demon guys want to kill the Krasuas because they were in love once, but then she cheated on him or something or never loved him or he's abusive or something. And uh, so now he kills their internal drive is to kill all Krasus. And I think that the point of turning the, the good boy into one of him is so that he also develops this urge to kill the woman he loves. Right. Yes. Um, which then becomes uh, when that's leads into uh, the film becoming an episode of Power Rangers at the end. Yes. And uh, it's so. great. It's, it's a great setup. Um, like, I do want to mention quickly uh, Tad's exit before we discover that he's a monster. Yeah, can we just one talk of the about Tad? Things and, in the movie. And to lead into that, because Tad yes, is the best. we got to talk about Tad, who is like the best thing about this movie. Um, uh, if, okay, so for our viewers who aren't going to watch the film, the man is a pirate like he walked off of the pirates of the caribbean set like i love his getup. life goals honestly i need to do more to look like tad like i love it he's got the boots he's got it all he's got a red head ba- bandana that he wears all the time yeah and and big big like eyes just full of expression and like he's yeah. just he's so wild looking and i love this character like like tad's great um, his hands are always full of either one hand is always a constantly burning torch. Yes. And then the other hand is either a rifle or a machete. Correct. Or a pistol. There's always some kind of gun or a cigarette. slash big blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right, He's right. a pirate. But speaking of gun, he has one of the greatest exits <laughs> ever, where to get them off of the trail of the Krasu, they say that he tried to rape the girl. And he makes his exit by shooting his gun in the air and then comically running off into the forest. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. like a pocket sand kind of yes. thing. Like like the way he does it is just like like uh, and I'm gone. Like he yeah, he he fires his gun in the air. Everyone screams, and the camera just cuts back to him like comically running off into the woods, Tad, getting away. Tad is this film's uh, Ian McDiarmid in the prequels, in that he's the only one who understands the, the tone. tone of the film he's in, <laughs> and is just like totally hamming it up in the best way, so that he's remarkably entertaining yes he really does he, he gets the tone and i think one of the best examples of that is during this amazing like black backdrop like drama shot of uh jeb turning uh <laughs> jerb uh turning into into the beast and um we we just see tad like like coming up behind him like grabbing him by the shoulders with these like wide eyes behind Popping him in and out. Yeah, yeah like like uh, on the left and then on the right and then from the bottom and from the side like like all in real time like just just chewing the shit out of the scenery like uh like talking about how much he hates the girl and all the rest like yeah like, like emperor palpatine shit like for sure and God, I loved it. Oh, so it was so fucking wacky. He chews the scenery into a level that like he's like the Nick Cage of this film, you know, mm-hmm. but like Ian McDermott is a great is a great example of, you know, that's this Palpy, you know, he's, he's, he's like the upper Palpatine of this movie. For sure. It's great. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we've set it up to to talk about the Please. as you've said, the the sort of uh, Power Rangers climax of the film. The denouement. 
they uh the whole town gets everybody together uh to like watch a movie on like a big projector because uh, the idea is have everybody together so they can know who the crossu is and uh you know our protagonist is revealed to be the crossu and she just kind of flies up into the sky and then uh tad and jerd uh as in their krahang forms uh show up to uh start fighting her all right let's let's talk about their demon forms in full like i because i i batted for the transformation practicals like i thought they looked really cool but oh my god the demons oh boy no articulation in the faces like goblin yeah like like old school like goblin practicals like it looks big hooked nose fangs pointy ears but they still have the same hair and facial hair (laughs) as their human forms which really got me because uh jerd has like this kind of little like bowl cut you know going on so seeing this like big demon goblin stomping around with a little boy's like bowl cut was really funny amazing uh and and we cannot forget the scrotal wings yes (laughs) like they their wings just kind of come out from under their arms they just sort of appear uh and yeah they're they're very scrotal they're they're very like ball sacky the way that they kind of flop out like yeah it's it's great um i i just i just linked in the in the chat the the what i've been using is the reference from ghosts and goblins and i think it is the perfect representation so if you want to take a second to to click on that you can you can see it's it's pretty much exactly it but I, I, I also think that when it happens, like when we start this flying demon fight, like I was like, are they going to end this movie with like a flying demon fight? And I was like, that'd be so dumb. That'd be so silly. And like I was I was really worried that it would just be like he shows up and then there's like a, a gunshot and it's really sad. But like, no, they go. Like, there's like a flying demon fight. They're like soaring through the air like they go 110 percent with this stupid monster battle. And it's it's glorious. It's great. Dude, Ted, you are so right, though, about the the ghosts and goblins like creature. I used to uh, I had roommates years back who had an arcade cabinet like in the apartment and we used to we'd play ghosts and goblins on it. And like, I remember I remember this fucker like after the it's either before or after the forest. I think, uh, sequence. And yeah, dude, like, yeah, it's the same. It's the same. Honestly, like this whole climax of the movie was by far my favorite part of the movie. And I wish the rest of this movie went as dumb with the action yes. oh my God. as this part because this movie had plenty of dumb melodrama. It didn't have enough dumb action for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is like that ending in Twilight part to Breaking Dawn, whatever, yes. where the, all the vampires just start having a giant flying slap fight and heads get ripped off and stuff. It's exactly that. But this one is, is I, I like this one a lot more because that Twilight one like had like a sense of itself, like taking itself very seriously. Like this one ends when a monk with an elephant gun shoots the bad demon in the brain like yep. twice. And it's I, just it's just great. I stood up and applauded. Uh, <laughs> he did that's true during that scene like he even had the one-liner after that's what i was saying yeah like it's great like uh it's so good because like yeah, the, the demon's up in the air you think he's just about to kill the crossu our protagonist and and he's shot 
And and my thought was like, oh, is it the dad? Like, who just shot him? Like, what's going on? And then we just get this beautiful cut, like the wind is swirling uh, to the to the monk. And, who and up he, to like, this point has served no purpose other than exposition yes. in the film. Yeah, like like has has been like uh, has had a very small role in the movie, and we just see him like throw his his like his monk robes to the side like a badass <laughs> while he's like holding this rifle. Like it's so like fucking yeah. like such a ninety like eighties nineties like film like like Americana like shot. And then yeah, he gets a one liner out. I can't remember what the line is, but like yeah, he, he does a this fucking one liner. This is for my dead wife. The yeah. equivalent of that, and then. And well, then in the then, middle of that scene, there's a flashback. A flashback montage. There's a montage. There's a flashback montage. Yeah. To let us know that the the Krasu that we saw at the beginning who infected our protagonist was his wife, who was also a Krasu, who he locked in a box in that house in the woods for yep. some reason. Um, because he was afraid that she was going to get killed by those hunters. And it was those same hunters that had come before. Yep. And it's like she – apparently he's been hunting Krasu for like – 40 years and no one's noticed that he's the same level of old hobo that he has been for the last 40 years. Right. Well, he probably picks up new people. I guess. I mean, yeah, the, I guess the, the craftsy hunting life isn't for the people that want to, that want to get old. There there are always more young horny dudes who want to pick up rifles like that. They're, they're an endless, there's an endless supply of those. Like, uh, you know, you can always pick up more. I, I, that's actually one of the more believable things I think about this, (laughs) about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) He locks her, which is another question that I have is like, he locks, her head in a box and to, to prevent them from hunting the the her down and then just like leaves her there forever i don't remember yeah. exactly why she and how did she get and how did she get out because when they find the box at the beginning of the movie it's empty and open so crossu definitely have the ability to open shit we know we don't see it we, we never see it which is, like, is a bummer the box is like but all chained up it, from it, the outside this is true I think that maybe like a tiny tentacle could get out and like pick the lock. I don't know, but <laughs> why, uh, not? <laughs> why not? We're, we're, okay, here's the thing though: we're we're already dealing with like severed floating heads with like organ tentacles. Like that's that's the premise. Like that's where we're starting this with true. this movie. This so true. like, and yeah, we know I, it from the the get go because they show us the monster immediately. Yeah, if we were dealing with like a realism film, like I, I would I would go to such extremes. But for this, it's very fun too, and I think disbelief has been well suspended. Yeah, I think I think that the, the plot was is that like he had to hide her from the hunters and then the kids let her out. And the reason that we saw the empty box, I can't remember. But like, I think that the kids let her out. She became a Krasu, infected her, and then she probably got killed by well, the when hunters. The kids, when the kids got there, the box was already open and empty. So like somebody she had gotten out somehow. I mean, I guess it doesn't fucking matter. But um. yeah. And also, my question is, is is ripping out the heart part of the killing of the Krasu, or is it just something that he did for funsies? Uh, no, it does kill the Krasu. Um, well, he did it speci- – the Krahangs do it specifically because in, like, the original lore, like, sh- the Krasu ran away with a with a human, and so, like, when he killed her, he ripped out her heart to, like, take her heart back. So, like, yeah. the, the, the Krahangs are compelled to kill and take the hearts of all Krasu. Which, if you're a Temple of Doom fan, you have a lot of opportunities to say Kalima, like, during this film. You get a <laughs> just, lot of good opportunities. Mortal Kombat. Oh know? yeah, fatality. <laughs> like yeah, you, you get a yeah. lot of that in the film. And again, another huge selling point in my opinion. But it's not a necessary step in killing the Krasu, I don't no. think. Uh they're okay. susceptible to guns. <laughs> yeah, as we, as we know, as we saw at the very from the very end of the movie, which is what I was asking is like is that a plot hole? 
or do they just not need to rip out the hearts? That's just something that he does for the love of the game. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's just, for the game. He does it because he's the, the, the Krahang, and he has to. But I think, you know, all of the other hunters just go around with guns. So I think you can just shoot that. They shoot the shit out of the one that, that, that comes out of the little kid. Uh, <laughs> just absolutely annihilate that one. <laughs> yeah, and then he eats yeah, the heart. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah well, I think, like, yeah, he's, he think he does say something about, like, that's how you're supposed to kill them. And I think that's his lie. I I think that's his cover for uh you know being a being a krahang i also want to point out too that early on in the film like the the practicals with the severed heads i thought looked really fucking good and there's a bunch of them oh like, like the, and i thought that was impressive the, like the dead krasu that yeah, they carry around krasus there's yeah. like there's like i counted like six or something like of these like severed oh, head props that, that they krasu made was both the singular and plural oh uh, well and, and, and at the beginning yeah, of yeah, the yeah, film <laughs> Like when they introduce uh, Murder McGee, um, the Mad Hobo, Tad. Um, yeah, Tad, Tad. Yeah, we're talking about Tad. I know, but uh, <laughs> we're we're unsure of if he's like actually like a legitimate Krasu hunter because like no one in his posse has like seen him. Well, I mean, uh, the what's the boy, the young Noi. boy, Noi, Noi or, yes. or Jeb. He's unsure if they've actually ever killed any. Like he's like, I just hang out with them and they feed me. And like, yeah, they you know, think they... You, uh, they're robbers at first. They're bandits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bandits. Which Raiders. honestly, I think it would have been cool to have that kind of question like expounded on a little mm-hmm. bit more. Like, are they legitimate Krasu hunters or are they just bandits who like earn the town's goodwill this way and then steal from them and murder them or whatever? That would have been more interesting. But it's only well, kind of uh, like hinted at once. I I actually I disagree. A little bit um okay i i do think that it being a question of whether the the bandits are actually crossu hunters would have been interesting i i think to, to to stretch that out but actually one of the big points of praise i have for this film is that the people who doubt that the crossu is real are in the minority and in western monster films that is a that is very rare almost always it's like person sees monster no one believes them and like i'm just I, i'm really tired of it and, ben and, and i talked about this a little bit in our impedigore episode that like in eastern horror the supernatural is more readily accepted yeah, right and, and there's there's one or two people who doubt it and they're actually like the press x to doubt yeah <laughs> yeah and like well, they're and, they're and, more like like the protagonists whereas it's the opposite and i i'm a much bigger fan of that i, I love the idea of like the culture as a whole just accepting it as the reality and there being one or two doubters as opposed to the opposite. Like, cause I'm just, I'm just so used to it at this yeah. point. Like I've seen it so many times. So I found that pretty, to be fairly refreshing. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I will say is that like, there's a very clear structure to how this movie would have worked if it was a more standard movie. So like you have the bandits come to town, they're saying we're cross you hunters. Uh, they start taking advantage of the town's hospitality. The town gets mad at them. They start whipping up a frenzy. The, the town originally doesn't believe in them, but they start whipping up a frenzy about, oh, this is a, the Krasu and this one's a Krasu. And then they start killing random women and cutting off their heads. And you find out that these aren't monsters. They're just killing random ladies. And then the, the main lady that is the Krasu then has to consider revealing her true form to save the town. And then she she does and she beats all the, 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 the Krasu hunters but then everyone's scared of her and she has to leave and she's sad in the woods. And then the main guy sits at the, the edge of the woods and, and, and wistfully listens for her in the night. And sometimes he thinks he hears her. And then you see a sad shot of the floating head as it like looks through the leaves at him. But like her body's dead now so she can never be normal human again. That's like that's how this movie would have played out if it was stupid. 
And you I, know what? Like, I'm not gonna lie. That actually sounds like a better movie to me. <laughs> it's just me, but it sounds it's way more. It sounds way more coherent than this than the movie as it stands. But that's why I like the movie as it is. is yes, because it's so fucking weird. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, I agree. Bring on the weird man. Like, well, and at first I was like, oh, these bandits, the town's gonna hate them. But they just kind of like sit by the river and like all like shoot their guns together, and people are like, yeah, they're annoying, but they're not like raping or murdering they're not doing bandit things they're just kind of hanging out and i don't know how long the movie is supposed to take place over because there's a lot of montages of tad with the torch and the gun walking through the night and presumably like, a long time because she goes she goes through her whole supply of avatar beans in one of those uh in one of those uh, a month has passed at one at point least, yeah because yeah, they specifically say like it has been a month since the crossu has appeared yeah, because in one of the other melodramatic mm-hmm. montages, we see uh, Noi coming every night to like feed the Krasu chickens. Oh, I'm through, so like, glad you brought that a up. Hole in the floor. Okay, well, <laughs> I'd be remiss <laughs> like, not to up. make this cheap joke. She's uh, feeding hens, and it's a Thai movie. Yeah, Tentacles. Yeah. Hen oh, Thai. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> I like that. Um, well, and then the, the the tentacle like caresses his face. Yeah, there was actually like a really sweet moment where she like is now human again, and she peeks her head over, and she does this little like claw hand that's like cutesy, but that she has like blood running down her chin. Yeah. I was like, that's actually adorable. Yeah, there, there were some. There were actually a good number. Like for as much as we're making fun of it too, like and and as much as like I I, I laughed a lot. Like there there were some where I was definitely like the loudest laughing. Like like where I I thought the film was very funny. But yeah. I will also bat for the movie in that, like, some moments really legitimately got me. In particular, like, geez, I see you just laughing and shaking your head. I, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to keep going. I don't care. I, like, uh, I, I, I know you do. And, and that, that's that's part of the beauty of the podcast. For instance, like when we, we see her, like her head disconnect for the first time, like I thought that was pretty powerful. Uh, I was pretty like... Woo, like taken aback by that, like just the the concept in general, like of like having your head like severed from your body like that, like becoming this other creature was there's a really fresh take on that. Like that transformation sequence. And it, it I thought it was powerful and, and pretty effective and cool. I thought there was a lot of uh, there. There were a number of moments throughout the film. I, I won't sit down and list all of them, but uh, well, yeah. And I think that it's important to point out what the movie does do right, because, like, so much of it is so silly. But there are some, like, points that really do land. And, like, one, I, I actually think that the guy that played Jerd, I can't remember the actor's name, but um, the, but the boy that goes off to join the, the Hunters, I genuinely think he did a really good job in the movie. Yes. Like, I, I actually think his acting was great. And the scene where he's, like, explaining, like, why he had joined them while he's turning into a monster, and he's just, like, sobbing. Like, I actually think that was, like, a really good delivery of those lines because in like so many other movies when someone's turning into a monster it's either like stoic hiding of it and like trying to figure out how to like get food while turning into this monster but like in real life if like if if, like you are afflicted with an incurable disease in real life it's like devastating and like he is just like he's just sobbing because like he has no idea what to do and i was like that's actually like a really heartfelt delivery that's like i really felt for him in that moment um i mean obviously we're talking about feeling for a guy in a movie where a lady turns into a floating head that eats pigs but like (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and then I, I what he turns he into more specifically, <laughs> what, he, what he finishes yeah. transforming into. <laughs> yeah, And I actually liked that plot thread about that there is this, like, it, it, it's introduced so late into the movie that it feels weird and hacked on. But that plot thread about how there's these demons 
and they hunt this other monster because of uh, like star-crossed love is a good parallel to what happens in the movie. I wish it was introduced way earlier on so that we could see those parallels Mm -hmm. because they kind of introduce it as this weird gotcha at the end. But like it's kind of the underpinning of the whole movie and the whole plot, but it doesn't play in until the very end and it, it, it gets confusing like i think that a lot of this movie like the the problems with it is just in the structuring of how the story is told because so much of the movie you're just confused as to where it's going and what the point is or what the end goal is because <laughs> yes. you're like is she gonna cure it but they never bring up a cure eventually they bring in these beans that can like temporarily assuage you and it's like and then in the end when they're like let's go to bangkok to get away from all this like there's no there's no implication there's like a cure in Bangkok or whatever. Right, like, why are they that's what I was saying too. Like, I think a lot of this film was structured in the edit. It was like, what yeah. what are they going to do in Bangkok? Find more Avatar beans? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to be a Predator to Two situation. And, and like in the dialogue Cross too, it's city. like he says, like yeah, like at the very very end, he he says to her, like I'm sorry, I couldn't fulfill my promise. And you're thinking like his promise is like, did I miss something about like him like saying I'm going to cure you or something like that? Like what what is his promise? And then a, like and then about five minutes later, we get a flashback to the three of them like sitting together at some point that we never saw earlier in the film where they make a promise to all go to Bangkok. So it was like, go to Bangkok together as best friends. (laughs) Yeah. It's like so dumb. And, and like if, if that had occurred before that line would have been a lot, would have had a lot more impact because he says that beforehand. So like chronologically, like as an audience, like we're just left confused and out of order. Cause I was like, what promise is he talking about? Cause he's like, I never kept my promise. And then a little later on we, we get like, Oh, they promised to go to this, but we were never there for that. So where, I mean, as the, a viewer, like where am I supposed to sit the here? Promise itself is pretty fucking vague. I want to talk about that scene more, uh, Because, like, in that scene, as he's putting her body into the boat, backtrack to that in a second, he says over and over, uh, I'll take care of you myself. I'll make you better. I'll heal you. He he keeps repeating it over and over again. So maybe that was the promise he was talking about. Maybe it's the promise at the end that we had never seen before. That's not important. What I need to cycle back to about putting (laughs) the body, um, when they're at the, the, the movie screening earlier where the demon fight happens, when her head first breaks off and starts flying around, the rest of the townspeople just absolutely go ham on her on her uh headless body uh with machetes and sticks and stuff and we see it it's like it's all torn up what what when her head goes back to that what's gonna happen and he's at the end he's just like running through the forest carrying her absolutely brutalized body (laughs) and and puts it in the boat and is like has this really drawn out tearful moment where the emotionless face of the Krasu is like floating in front of him as he like weeps I do think it's really funny that the Krasu don't have facial expressions it's just yeah. like completely blank face. So it's like, and of course, you know, the subtitles are saying like sad orchestral music, you know, uh, <laughs> shit like that. So we know that it's supposed to be sad, but it's just not. And then well, her tendril, yeah. her tendril severs the rope on the boat. So the boat starts drifting away. And then from behind her, she gets shot in the, in the head, in agonizing slow motion that part takes <laughs> yeah. so long <laughs> uh, and, that's, and then there's credits and that's how the movie ends yeah basically yeah. 
Okay, so a few things based on what, what kind of going off of what you're saying. If the film ended with them going across the river and getting to Bangkok, and you see Bangkok, and it's a city full of floating heads, oh this God. movie would have fucking owned. Yes, like, that yes. Been the best Whoa, like, yes. Like, fucking owned. Like, it's just like, oh, it turns out they're all, they all live here. It's fine. It's a Krasu sanctuary, and they're just, like, floating like birds. That's that why there's good. a war. They they offhandedly mentioned yes. there was a war in Bangkok. Yeah, so. it's not the British's if, fault. If it's, uh, it's, like, it's the um, If this movie crossing. had, like... I'm just saying, like, if this movie had, like, merged the, the two lores of, like, the war with the Krasu, and, like, the, the, the army was using Krasu as spies because they can, like, float around and shit. Oh, that sounds like sequel material movie. to me. Yeah, that sounds amazing. But also, like, uh, like the ending needed to, like, I think have something better than her just getting shot. Like, they needed to establish something like the Krasu can't cross water without its human body or something like that. Or it can't last in the sunlight or something like that oh, if its body yeah. is dead. And, like, like she's aware that she's going to die because her body is brutalized. So she, like, lets the boat go. And then as the sun comes up, she disintegrates. And then there's, like, that sad moment because, like, he couldn't do anything. Like, that would have been a much more heartfelt ending than her just getting shot in agonizing slow motion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Kind of like, what's the movie that ended with the vampire, like, uh, turning into dust in in the sunrise? Was it one of the Blade movies? No, that was, he didn't willingly turn into dust in the, uh... In the Blade movie, yeah, no, we in did those Blade, in Blade Two, in Blade Two, he carries his dying oh, girlfriend yeah, out because she wants to see the she wants to see the sunlight. Yeah, uh, he does. So she, so while all of the other vampires in the movie burst brutally into flames in the sunlight, you know, she kind of disintegrates beautifully. See our episode on Blade Two, uh, listeners. We talk about that. Uh, that was my pick right, and right, excellent. Del Toro. Yeah, excellent time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, we yeah we we go in we go into yeah. depth on yeah. that one. Um, or or like you know, True Blood when uh you you meet Eric's fucking maker and he's like four thousand years old. Sure. And he's just like over it. He's like, I'm gonna just turn into dust now. Like those are all really really great deliveries uh, of those kinds of like endings. Um, but the problem with this movie, I think that I think the main problem with this movie is is a narrative structure one, which is that. Um, it's kind of structured like a soap opera, which is everything is delivered immediately. It's like if something bad happens, it's like, what are you doing here? It's like, well, remember, I had brain surgery, but now I have the brain of my like dead brother. And you're like, what the fuck is what is going on? It's just all the information is immediately dumped on you. There's the immediate conflict of that. And then there's some kind of immediate resolution. Like it's 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 just very immediate. There's no... Like, there's a build over the course of the film, but every time they need to introduce a new plot point, it's not a plot point that they had, like, cleverly established earlier on. It's, like, a plot point that, like, let's explain it right now exactly what's happening. And that's where you get a lot of these, like, montages and flashbacks and what makes the film feel so jarring and what also makes it so, like, there's none of that clever, like, oh, I figured it out or, oh, that's what was going on because it's all just being, like, so explicitly explained to you. Like, this movie really needed a little bit more subtlety and it really needed a little bit more establishment at the beginning before they jump right into the floating head monster shit. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, to kind of capstone that they don't feel the need to let the viewer do any of the work. They spoon feed everything to you. I genuinely like transformation movies like where someone's becoming a monster and trying yeah. to figure it out. Like a really that. good example of that narrative is a movie called Afflicted. It's a found footage horror film about a guy that's becoming a vampire and he's kind of going through the process of like figuring out what the fuck's going on. And like the first 45 minutes of the movie are just like kind of like him just even realizing what's happening to himself. And and then, you know, it ends with a giant stupid vampire fight in a church. But uh, nice. that's, and that's great. And that's the perfect way to end a movie. Every movie should end with two flying monsters 
monsters punching each other in the face. Like every single movie, like including Citizen Kane, would have been way better if it ended with this fight. <laughs> but that's what I think is like most of the issues of this movie are structural and storytelling, which is why at the beginning of this podcast, I stated that I'm not sure if a lot of my, if any of my distaste is actually because of translation or like a cultural issue. See, that's how you fucking write whoever wrote this movie is you, you, you plant the seeds early on in a discussion to then come back towards later on. That's how you write a fucking story. God damn it. This movie needed that because, you know, uh, I don't know if that's just like a component of Indonesian or Thai storytelling, you know, it, it, I will never really know how their fables are constructed, the storytelling, the, the story beats that they have, like even their cadence and how they deliver like their stories. Like, and I don't really know their like ethics or morality either. Like, I don't know if it's actually like, way more taboo in their culture to like have a romantic affair with a monster than it is in America. Cause in America, regardless of whatever Salem witch trials we had forever ago, no one gives a shit. Like if real life vampires existed, everybody like, wants to fuck vampires. Yeah. I'd be yeah, fucking one does. tomorrow and no one would like bat an eye, but that, that might in, maybe in Thailand, that would be like really, really, really taboo. Yeah. And I just don't know. Like, so there's a lot of these, the, the parts of the movie that's hard to judge because like I wasn't raised in that culture and I'm not used to experiencing media from that culture. So like, maybe this is, Maybe this is the best version of telling a story within their language and within their storytelling structure. I don't know. So I can really only judge it based on my own, like, cultural perception, my own, my own like, you know, hetero, white, cis, American, English-speaking lens. And within that lens, within all of the cultural things I had to overcome, I felt that the movie was confusing yet incredibly interesting and different and and when you're someone like me who watches like two movies a day something that's different sticks out to you more than just like another good ghost movie like i watched another movie recently called slumber which is about a sleep ghost sleep demon it's actually pretty good um (laughs) way better than i thought it would be good special effects decent plot all that stuff i literally don't remember how that movie ends i watched it two days ago i was stone cold sober i don't remember (laughs) like i don't remember probably a good 40 percent of that movie and it was the only thing i was doing at the time i was just watching it and, and that's the thing is like, I remember pretty much every scene of Inhuman Kiss. And, and there's something to be said about a movie that even if you don't necessarily agree with all the decisions, sticks with you. And I respect that about this film. So that's kind of my concluding point. Well, well said. Uh, why don't you slap a rating on that? I think it's about time. It's time. I think we're about ready. Oh, yeah. uh, what would you let's, rate let's, Inhuman let's Kiss? What scale do you use? Uh, out of five, halves are allowed. You know what? I, I would pretty confidently give this film – well – that's the thing, is that it's it's not a fantastic movie, and it's it's kind of like a three out of five, maybe a two and a half out of five, uh, if I'm just kind of trying to rate it on like special effects and plot and like all that stuff. But like the the experience of watching it is, it felt like a very, it, it, I, I never knew where it was going, and I, I and I couldn't predict what was happening. And for someone that's watched a zillion horror films, something that's that unique and different, I really respect that. And I, I, that is something that I like in a movie more than just type filmmaking. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good horror films that come out that, like I said, I just don't really remember because they don't stick with me because they're pretty standard and basic. So when something really good comes along, really different comes along, I tend to value that higher than probably the filmmaking quality itself. So I would say for general, like, and this is also going to be one that's the, – the, the demographics are going to be all over the place on who likes this movie because it is like a love story. There's plenty of like kissy stuff and uh, the lady that I was watching with it with this with like loved it because she was like, oh my god, it's so romantic. I would elevate it above the actual filmmaking quality itself to like a four out of five because I think that this is a film that a wide variety of people 
can appreciate and enjoy for various different reasons, whether or not you're touched by the love story, if you're just learning about a new culture, if you just are laughing at the silly monster at the end, it kind of has something for everyone. I genuinely enjoyed this film. I would recommend it with a straight face to everyone with the caveat that it is batshit nuts. <laughs> Fair enough. And very confusing. Yeah. All right, Cleve, what about you? I felt pretty sure, uh, pretty confident about my rating from that monk shot where like he lowers his like fucking roasting shotgun and gives his one liner. I was like, well, this is definitely a four out of five at the very least. I loved it. I, I loved uh, literally everything about this movie. Um, even like the, the, the critiques that we had for it uh, left me giggling throughout the film and up through the podcast. I have been uh, wiping giggly tears uh, away from my eyes. I <laughs> like I, I had I've had such a good time tonight. It is an easy four out of five uh, from me. And while I do I do think that it is overscored, I do think that there was something they've said about the production value of the scoring. I thought there were some really there were some really fun engineered like sequences in the soundtrack. Uh, you get some fun like blast beats and uh, like. Uh, the way that like the the spectral hissing is like incorporated, I know, I know, like into the uh the music is pretty neat. I liked it. It, it gave me uh you know it gave me some like the Silent Hill two like theme vibes and stuff mm-hmm. at times because like I like a I like a, a sad spooky tinkly piano like I'm a I'm a fan of that. So uh you know I was I was into it for for all of those reasons. I was laughing at the film and I was uh I was sad with the film. I, I I felt it all, and and for that it is it is definitely a, a four out of five. Ben, well, I hate to rain on the parade. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I'm with you, bro. This was not a movie for me. I think the movie was overscored with music. I found not good. I found it very melodramatic and bad. And I think overall the movie had such a sickly saccharine melodrama to all of the plot and while i found the krasu uh, folklore interesting i felt like it very sloppily handled all that stuff narratively the inspiration from twilight was actually a negative for it in my opinion i think (laughs) those movies are not for me either um i will give it an extra half star for the fantastic 20 minute uh monster fight sequence but overall the movie should have been 90 minutes long and it was over two hours and it felt like four i'm gonna give it a two and a half Watch it at your own risk. You might love it. You might hate it. I'm right there with you, Ben. I did enjoy things about this movie. It was very uh, difficult to predict, and some of the uh, left turns it took were entertaining. Uh, I really enjoyed the little bit of action and horror that we got. I wish there was more of that. I found the schmaltzy melodrama romance stuff really difficult to sit through. If I had not been watching it with you guys, I probably would have turned it off when they found the field of glowing avatar beans. That was like a a, a definite low point for me. Um, and yeah, I agree with you on the music too. Like I didn't find it particularly uh, 
uh, moving either. I thought it was uh, over-manufactured. Um, but some bad, some good. I wish this movie was about 45 minutes shorter. I think I would have enjoyed it uh, more if that was the case. Uh, I'm out of five as well. That as an average, we'll get the out of five. I mean, we are still... Don't. <laughs> Just- I say that everyone that's extreme horror should see it, even if you are aware that you will hate it. Because it is it is just one of those films that's so weird that if you want to expand your view as to what horror can be, like this is just like and it's it's better than Twilight. It's good to watch the weird so you can learn what you don't like. I'm not upset yes. that I watched this like, movie. It, it I makes will clarify it... that. I'm not upset that I watched it. I, I got enough out of it that it was worth my time. I will never go back to it. Yeah, and like <laughs> it, it can make it easier Like watching those sorts of films. like It could make it easier for you to sit down and say, this, I don't want to ever watch this again. Like the Greasy Strangler. You know, <laughs> it's like I can sit down and I can watch it and be like, yeah, I never want this in my face ever again. Is it a good film? It's well made, Maybe. but like, uh, <laughs> is, it, is it something I ever out. want to see again? No. <laughs> like, yeah, or like the evil within is a great. Yeah, yeah, it's like, that. yeah, for sure. Like, and I, I think you no, know, it's it's important to do that. And and I think like Ben, you're probably one of the first people to like to expose me to that with like uh, with like Houseu, you know, where I you know like it's like it's important to sit down and watch those like really weird ones. You know, just to see, like, if if it's if it's for you, I will or if never it's not. stop watching House. House rocks, and House like, like, uh, especially like the Bad more time example, I've had, like, yeah. um, uh, but no, it's an example in that it's it's extremely weird and yes. it's extremely polarizing uh, and reactionary. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I, I think I think that this this film has all of those merits uh, for sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a very good point to bring up. I think that it is like important sometimes when there is a movie that is like heavily derided or make fun of like you do have to watch it yourself like like how sue is like a weird movie but you have to experience it yourself i think a good example of that is um deathbed the bed that eats have you ever heard of deathbed yeah well that's the thing is that like he makes a joke about it and like oh it's a shitty horror film it's actually like a weird art house movie about like an artist a painter that's trapped in a wall and the bed is the wind and he is like it's a demon that he falls in love with and then traps in a bed and the bed is representative of their like hot sex and it's like what are you like? It's a weird art house horror film, but like no one knows that because no one actually watched Deathbed, the bed that eats. Well, the the deep pretension of that movie makes it all the funnier, in my opinion. Yeah, um, that's another that's another like galaxy brain. It's it's like watching Deathbed. You I, you can only give it a six out of five or a negative one out of five. Well, there's no that, middle ground. Yes, and that's a perfect movie to use as an example. I think. The Evil Within is a great comparison to that because it's one of those movies like Deathbed that takes itself very seriously, but it's very galaxy brain, head-ass stuff that doesn't really translate all that well. Yeah, yeah, man, that movie. Well, next week, believe it or not, folks, it's that time of year again. It's our birthday. We have officially reached our three-year 
podiversary. Oh, yeah. We've been doing this show for three years. As hard as that is to believe, we're still going. Uh, so <laughs> in our tradition, we will be doing uh, a two-episode special on an original versus the remake, and um, we're going to leave that a surprise. I'm personally very excited about it. Same. So. I've never seen the original or the remake of the surprise thing that we're going to be showing, and I'm excited because it's one that I've always been meaning to watch, and I'm sure that the same will go for a lot of our listeners out there as well. Yes, it's going to be a, a very good one, so check back with us next week for that. Before we sign off, Cleveland, who's given us money this week? Who's um, our sponsor? This week is brought to you by someone very special and dear to all of our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. If you were ever once a child, then you certainly remember the the advertisements on the seeing those advertisements on the radio of the the splendid uh, Calniparus Hootenstank. You know, I think we all remember seeing uh, those those How radio advertisements of from Calniparus, the the great and noble. Uh, uh, God rest his soul. Um, well, it turns out that H, uh, HB7 uh, is doing a new series on him uh, called The the Great and Magnificent. And uh, this episode is sponsored by, by that same series. And uh, yeah, so go go on HB no uh, a seven and uh, and, and check out <laughs> check out this series. It's, it's brought to you by, by, by that this week. Remarkable. Much like Krasu, that was meandering and confusing. And I was glad when it was over. <laughs> uh, same. Uh, same, honestly. Please get me away from this sponsor as quickly as possible. Well, if you like the show... Uh, hit the five stars on Apple Podcasts, share an episode with a friend, and if, leave us a nice a nice review. <laughs> if you like the show, God rest your soul. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod uh, and at Letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod, where you can find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Uh, I am on Twitter at Deep State Ozzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheet. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we further progress on It Stares Back. Stick around, we've got some cool updates in the works. Uh, you can also find my work on Art Station if you search Cleveland Mosier. But these days I'm uh, doing a lot of work for Dread XP as uh, our wonderful guest can talk more about. Ted? Yeah, Dread XP. We make horror games, the Dread X collection. They're great. Uh, collection of indie short games. All the games we make are very, very uh, short. We make them in, you know, basically a month and uh, release them in a collection. It's like an anthology film for games. Uh, really, really cool stuff. Cleveland over here does some great work for uh, the art. But um, yeah, we got a third game coming out in October. And we also have the Dread XP Indie Showcase, which honestly, I'm really excited about we got some really cool entries for that so we do we do i've been hearing some of the the stuff in the in the pipeline and it's looking great yeah that showcase is going to be amazing so yeah, yeah look, look yeah. forward to that uh, come uh yeah look forward to the showcase have we officially announced the time for the showcase 
It's on Halloween. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So uh, I just wasn't sure if it was official or not. Yeah. Check out our showcase on Halloween. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. Ted, any social media where folks can uh, find you or DreadX stuff? Uh, they should always just follow DreadXP. I do have my own Twitter, but I have tweeted maybe zero times in the last year. And that's a high estimate. It's probably negative two times. I feel that. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. How many tweets have you twote? Not so many. I, I, Not so many. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can definitely relate to that. Well, Ted, thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking with us about this really weird fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I'm glad I, could, uh, glad I could be a part of this. Well, we'll definitely have you back again soon uh, whenever you've got the time. To everybody, thanks as always for listening. Uh, come back and join us for our three-year podiversary uh, next week. Until then, don't be swapping spit with Creatures of the Night. <laughs> <laughs>